So, um, yeah, Wes will tell you I've been bugging him for about, I don't know, most of the time I've known him really, about becoming a sports chaplain and, um, and uh, oh, that's right, I've got the controls, haven't I? So, there we go. I, I, if I look, if I, if I touch this and I don't put it up there, then you know I've got the wrong one. So, yeah, uh, so, you know, Wes is a giant among men. And, um, and, uh, <laughs> He's even on Sky TV, which I don't guarantee to everybody who works as a chaplain, but it did happen. He caught a fantastic uh, ball in the corner there and uh, got mentioned. They even knew that he was the chaplain of the Giants. So well done, Wes. That's not bad in one year to uh, get right up there. Um, I'm just really so pleased that, um, you know, that God has uh, spoken to him, called him to be involved in this way. And, and one of the reasons I am is because I believe that... Um, uh, not only is this guy a really good dude and a great pastor, um, but I believe that, that he's part of an amazing move of God in our nation where people are moving out of churches and into society and beginning to pastor the people of our nation. And that's where we should have been all along, rather than our little ecclesial huddles. So, um, so you know, you guys doing your, your, uh, you know, your country stuff, Fantastic. Go and love them. Go and pastor them. Go and be Jesus among them. That's what we need to do. Uh, you may not know it, but in this nation, 74% of adults and 92% of kids and teenagers are involved in some kind of sport or recreation in any given week. So whilst you might be a couch potato, believe it or not, most of the country actually gets up and does something. So um, there is hope for us couch potatoes, but uh, that it's not all sport by any means. A lot of it could just be walking the dog, but they're doing stuff. They're doing recreational stuff, but a big chunk of those people are doing competitive sport, and that's where we're positioned and the stuff that we are working with as an organisation. Now, um, I need to know what my time is. Okay, um, I probably should take that off. Um, you heard about that one, don't you? The little boy saw the pastor taking the, his watch off and he said to his daddy, why is he doing that, daddy? And What does that mean? And daddy said, absolutely nothing, son. It means nothing. He ain't going to pay any attention to it anyway. <laughs> I'll try to. What time do you want to go home? I've got about, a, about two hours stuff to share, but I'll try and knock it down to 30 minutes. So um, the, uh, if we look at our country, um, Aotearoa New Zealand has been going through a massive shift, a sociological shift, a change in who we are and the way that we operate uh, since the Second World War. Now, I know most of that, um, well, I'm certain it's before my time, but um, part of, of what's been going on is the rejection of organised and institutional religion. And... Uh, it, and with that, the imposed rules and morality and styles and expectations. And we've plunged ourselves into a new world where basically um, pretty much anything goes as long as you're not hurting anybody else. And so some of that change actually has been really, really good. Right? It was necessary. It was necessary to liberate ourselves from some of those structures and some of those things that were not good for us. But some of it is not so good. The point is, the world that I grew up and the world that you grew up in has gone. It is no longer, and we need to stop pretending we're going to go back there. That is somehow a better place. It wasn't. The, the future is where we're journeying with Jesus. His kingdom is coming. His will will be done on this planet. It will happen. So the question we have to ask is whether we want to go on a journey with Jesus or whether we want to you know, hanker for a time gone in the past. 
The church is no longer at the center of society. We're back on the margins. Hallelujah. The way we share Jesus to this community has had to change, and I'm grateful that it has. Unfortunately, as a church, we still have this mentality of come to us. And yet everything we see in the scripture is Jesus saying, you go to them. All right? don't, don't wait for them to come to you. You go to, oh, not only you go to them, but you do life with them. They are you. You know, in the past, we would rock up and tell people about God. And we'd expect them to welcome us to share the good news with them. Today, we have to earn the right to speak. Today, we have to build relationships of trust that might, in time, give us the opportunity to talk God conversation. We have to learn to love people where they are. We have to build those relationships of trust. We, we, we need to learn to serve them simply because we're serving Jesus. We're loving them because they're created in his image. They've got his fingerprints all over them. Do you get it? We have to learn to have authentic faith, a faith that, that others can see and they can see something different going on. We need to be living with an integrity and a courage and a, and a humility um, and be less concerned about sorting out people's behaviour than we are about making space for them to encounter Jesus for themselves. Yeah. You see the shift that the church has to go through? I'd have to say that there's something going on in society today, the like of which in 40 years of ministry I have never seen and it's this the world the people out there are asking us to come and care for them to pastor them to look after their hoora, their well-being that in my whole time has never happened where communities are saying will you come to us Three and a half years ago, I left um, Morrisville Baptist Church, where I was senior pastor, to take up the challenge of leading and growing a, a movement that I believe would be um, utterly transformative. Um, I think the, um, since then, I, I've seen the growth of sports chaplaincy uh, within this country, where we had five placed chaplains, chaplains working within teams or clubs in 2018, and where we've got 50 today. And, uh, and we've got another 20 people lined up ready to roll. They're going through training at the moment. But there's more than this going on. You see, we've, we've now got partnership agreements with, uh, with four major sporting organisations, ba uh, Basketball New Zealand, Gymnastics New Zealand, New Zealand Rugby League, and um, uh, Volleyball New Zealand is in the process of being done. Those organisations alone represent something in the vicinity of... Uh, 300,000 club, uh, 300 clubs and 300,000 people in our country. That's just the athletes. Then on top of that, you've got mums, dads, brothers, sisters. You've got husbands, wives. You've got boyfriends, girlfriends. Hopefully they all go together. But basically, it's a community of, of upwards of um, 900,000 people. 
that we're starting to touch. Now, these organisations, we provide uh, critical support and, and emergency pastoral care, but they want us to provide pastors right through their whole organisation. So uh, right now, we could place 100 more people around this country into teams and clubs that are just saying, come and help us. We don't know what to do with the pastoral crisis that there is in our nation, in our sport. So I'd love to have that 100, but actually our goal is much, much more than that. One of the things that, I, that struck me earlier this year is this photo, when, um, and, and I know in Nelson this is just normal, but it was actually about Hawke's Bay where they were seeing fruit fall to the ground because nobody was there to pick it. That is so prophetic of our nation today. New Zealand's not a difficult nation to reach. The problem is that the harvesters are all stuck inside twiddling their thumbs entertaining themselves when when the harvest is hanging on the tree and falling on the ground now i'm evangelist okay i'm an evangelist i love telling people about jesus and um and i will spin an all a conversation around if i can it's just natural to me so god had to take me slap me around the ears and say son you need to learn how to go and love people before you dump on them what you think is good news and so I had to learn to be a pastor. And I can tell you, go and talk to the people in Morrinsville and they'll, t- they'll tell you that yeah, it was a hard road training him to be a pastor. But uh, I believe that in this room right now, there will be many, many people here who if I said, are you an evangelist? You would just hide behind your chair and go, no way, Jose. Or Hosea, if you're really biblical. <laughs> but if I said to you, if I said to you, can you love people? Could you pastor people? Could you care for people? I'll guarantee most of you could go, yeah, I could do that. I could, I could take a meal to somebody. I could, I could go alongside a group of people and just be there for them and, 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 and just be the love of God to them. See, that's, that's where we have to start. We've got to start where people are, not where we might want them to be. And, and actually, where people are is where we're all are or have been where our lives are busted up, broken down, sort, we've got problems to sort out. And so that's where people are. So the journey is not let's go and evangelize people, it's just go and love them. And then guess what? Over time they turn around, they want to know why you love them, why you care for them, why you're there. And then they ask you questions. When they, do, they know you're a Christian, they ask you questions of how did. How did you become a Christian? This happened to me two weeks ago. On the sidelines, a, a team that I chaplain. How did you become a Christian? And I started to share about this very dramatic transformation that took on my place. It took, it took, it took place in my life. So I had been beer swilling, dope smoking, um, blaspheming bad boy in the army. Uh, until I met my wife and she sorted me out. But actually it was meeting God together that really sorted us both out. And so I'm telling him about this and he stops me and he grabs me out and he says, that's what happened to my granddad. And actually what had happened to his granddad was really positive in his life. And so I ended up talking with him more about what it meant to let Jesus into your life, to begin to have a say. I could not have had that conversation if I hadn't have been spending time on the sideline. 
chatting with him. Another lad, um, I was uh, sat down beside, it was a, it was a, pre-friend, a pre-season friendly, and um, he got smashed up, he came off, his shoulder had popped out, popped back in, and he's sitting there, you know, there's no game where you want to get injured, but the last game you want to get injured in is a pre-season game, because it just doesn't count for anything. You're just a bunch of people out there running and getting a bit of match fitness. And so there he is knowing that his season is over before it's even begun. But there's a bigger question going on. He may not be able to play rugby anymore. And to see this lad in his early 20s just sitting there sobbing as he's dealing with these major life issues. It's not about playing rugby. It's about his dream that's just been shattered. Who will sit beside that lad and put their arm around him? You don't have to say anything, don't have to preach the gospel. You've just got to love the lad at that moment and let him know somebody cares. Let him experience the love of Jesus through you. Where are we? This world's full of people like that. I spent um, 10 years as a chaplain of St. Helens Rugby League. And during that time, I had various, it was hard graft to start with because they'd never had a, a, a chaplain. They got no idea what a chaplain was. And I didn't have any idea what a chaplain was either. I was learning as I go. And so there I am with this um, elite level Super League team learning my way. About five or six years in as a chaplain, I was asked by one of the coaches, can you go into the changing room? So-and-so is in there and he's, he's in a bit of a bad way. He got injured in this game. I went down, it was ha- just after half time and we were playing away in Warrington. And uh, there's this lad sitting under the Sky TV camera. And, uh, and I looked at him and I thought, he is in a bad way. This is a very robust player who never gets injured. And he's sitting there with his looking absolutely forlorn. I sat beside him and he said, I said to him, what's up? And he said, my life has turned to SH1T. And I know I'm in church congregation, so I can't say the full version of all that he said at that moment. But I looked at him and I thought, hmm, tell me more. And he said, um, he looked at me, he said, I'm really struggling with cocaine. Well, you can't do that when you're a, when you're a professional athlete. Um, you shouldn't do it anyway. He said, uh, I'm an alcoholic. My wife's an alcoholic. Uh, our marriage is completely in a mess. Our kids are running riot. I've lost my form and now I'm injured. And at this point, he looked at an incredibly busted up young man. He looked at me and he said, he said, Phil, I know I've got to get God into the center of my life. How do I do that? Can you help me? So I led him to Jesus sitting under that Sky TV camera that day. But the backstory is five or six years of relationship. I didn't have a spiritual conversation with that lad until that time. But it had been building and building and building. Relationship, trust, love, care. He had watched me to see whether I was genuine, whether I had authentic faith, whether I actually had any integrity at all, whether I cared for him and the rest of that team. And at the point that he was completely busted up, he said, what must I do to be saved? The world will ask that question of us, but not before we earn the right to speak. Not before we've built relationships of trust. And unfortunately, the church has adopted a form of mission that says we think we have the right. We, we, by the way, inherited that from our forebears. It's what's called Christendom, where the church was at the center and had all the power and all the control and forced its morality upon society. But those days have gone. We are at the margins now. We have to understand that we cannot impose our morality. Actually, if you ask questions here about morality, we've all got different understanding of it anyway. 
But nonetheless, we cannot impose Christianity upon people and expect that they're going to respond. We're at the margins. We've lost our great control over society. Hallelujah. I don't think we're ever meant to be there. That's not salt. That's not light. That's not yeast. That's domination. And that's not Jesus. Jesus is looking for love relationships with people, wooing them to himself, never coerces them, never controls them, never forces them. I'm not saying that there's no um, accountability. Of course there's accountability. But we're not the ones who bring that about in a person's life. We're there to love them as Jesus loves them. There'll come a day when we will all stand before him. And uh, I guess all of us will have some degree of tears in our eyes as we see how much we failed and messed up. But we'll look at him and we'll see tears of joy as he welcomes us into his presence. We need to be good news, not try and dump something on people. So this lad... Um, his wife gave her life to the Lord exactly the same week because the coaching staff member who asked me to go and speak with him, his wife, he's a Christian, his wife spoke with the lad's wife and she gave her life to Jesus. And their lives turned around. It was amazing to watch how God got a hold of them. But it took time to get there. And that's really what I want to speak about this morning. A change of mentality. You know, the church also has another, another um, uh, legacy that we, we've gained from, um, from our forebears, and that's colonialism. And the thing about colonialism is this. It's like, we have the best culture. So you want what we've got, you've got to join us and become like us. That's what colonialism is. You know, let's face it, my, my, my great-granddaddy turned up in here, and to Māori, they had to become Pākehā if they ever wanted to inherit what we had. Actually, there's this same spirit of domination and forcing and pushing and so on. I'm, I'm speaking in huge general terms, but think about the church today. What we do is we go out there and we want to recruit people and bring them back here. Now, I went to Papua New Guinea and if I led somebody to the Lord in Papua New Guinea, do you think I was going to bring them back to Morrisville Baptist? I don't think so. What do you do? Well, you see church emerge where they are. And actually, it's going to look quite Papuan, not dairy farmerish. <laughs> so here's the, here's the real rub. Are we able to go out into the world, into the sporting world, into the educational realm, into the health, uh, and so on, in our society, and see the kingdom come there? Now, some of the people make the journey back to where we are, but some of them not. They're going to need to become church where they are. And that's a real challenge for the church in New Zealand today, to stop thinking that it's our culture, our internal Christian culture, that's the best, and you've got to join us and become like us. Sometimes when uh, a Saints player would come with us to church, um, I can remember we, we were adopted by a big Samoan lad and his wife. Um, I married them and we became, uh, we were the godparents to their oldest boy. And they'd come along to our church occasionally. And they'd get, poor old Maury would just get mobbed. He would come to worship Jesus, but all of the punters would want his signature and take photos with him. It's like, come on, the boy's in church, leave him alone. So sometimes church isn't the best place for some people. Not our variety of it. And we've got to ask the question, what does it look like? What's indigenous church look like for the people of New Zealand? And it might look like this, but it might look somewhat different. It might just start as a Bible study. It's a place where you're just growing somebody, journeying with them. And who knows where they'll end up in their bigger collective Christian experience. Well, there was a song that we sung today. I have lived in the goodness of God. 
I love that song. See, here I am now. I've done 40 years on the journey with Jesus. And I'm, I'm here for two reasons. One is an incredibly loving wife who, who could knee me in the behind when I needed it. And an incredibly loving God who did exactly the same thing, basically. What will you say when you get towards the end of your life? Will you be able to stand there and say, I've known the goodness of God? If we are willing to sow our lives into the lives of others, we will know the goodness of God. If we stand here and wait for it, we won't. If we're saying, give me your goodness, God, he's saying, I want to give you my goodness. Go and love that person. Go and care for that person and you'll experience my goodness. So in the middle of all this, you know, there's, um, there's lots and lots of things that, that we can and, um, and maybe should be doing. Um, oh, yeah, to do all of this, I should tell you this. Um, so I said I'm looking for a thousand chaplains, a thousand pastors, um, people who've got a pastoral heart to go and work uh, within schools, within like school teams, um, sports teams. So we have chaplains there. We have chaplains in grassroots um, sport, we have chaplains and, and at elite level and, and high performance level. Um, but most sports people are actually at the grassroots. That's the real rub. That's where we need to be. And that's where I work as my voluntary contribution. Um, so I'm looking for a thousand people. Our immediate goal by the end of 2023 is to have uh, 200 people, but by the end of the decade, a thousand. And to help us do that, I'm looking for a thousand people who will take out their phone and set their phone to 10.02, and the reason I say that is, um, anybody know why? Why two minutes past 10? It's because Luke 10.02 says, ask the Lord of the harvest to thrust out workers into the field. I just changed it a little bit. Ask the Lord of the harvest to thrust out chaplains into the sports fields. So I want a thousand, can you imagine the difference that would make that for a thousand people praying every, every day at two minutes past 10? And then I'm looking for a thousand people who give up one coffee, and I know how painful this is because I'm a coffee addict, but one coffee, one coffee a week and, and give that towards this great movement. Right, I've done my spiel on um, that one. Let's move on. I better see what I'm up to here, haven't I? Now, um, I, I've been doing some study recently, and I was looking at the sower, and I believe that this is a prophetic word to the church in our nation today. The thing about the parable of the sower is that um, it's about God speaking to us first and foremost, but it's also about the soils. And um, uh, one of the things that struck me when I first came across this parable was I looked at the good soil, right? And you think it produces 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Wow, let's go find some good soil and let's... Throw some seed on it. We have a problem with this, friends. Maybe when I came to faith in Christ in, in um, 1978, there was a lot of good soil in this country because that, that was the kind of, you know, there was, there was kind of a biblical big narrative, big story in the country. Most people had heard about Jesus and had some idea about the biblical story. But that's not the case today. And so a lot of our evangelism is still going trying to find some good soil. But that good soil has shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. There's still plenty of soil. 
but it's not what it used to be. So I, I want us to just to look at this parable. I'm going to read it through. And uh, I want you to imagine that um, it's like looking at a beautiful house. Um, this is a picture of a, a beautiful and intriguing house. And then suddenly the picture becomes quite real. And we find ourselves inside the house and, uh, and, and we're staring at a mirror. What do we see? Um, maybe from there we gaze out a window and, and, and we discover that the world, just by being in this house, the world now somehow looks somewhat different. Things have changed. Maybe it's us. And then we feel compelled to journey out the doorway into this new world that we're seeing, out into a new paradigm, a new way of, of thinking. And, and I suppose that, that my, my heart's desire is that the church today would begin to do that journey, would take that journey, and would find herself in an entirely new place, a new way of thinking. So let's read this um, parable together. Uh, if you've got it on your phone, feel free to uh, look at it, otherwise it'll come up on the screen. Um, you'll have to be onto this because it's three slides. Oh no, I'm onto it, aren't I? Hang on. Ignore, ignore me, I've, I know what I'm doing most of the time. So let me read this to you, but um, just imagine you're sitting on the beach there listening to Jesus, and, um, and there he is out on the boat, and you're on the beach, and there's a nice warm you know, Sunday afternoon. Try not to go to sleep. But he says this, listen, a sower went out to sow, or a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he scattered the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil, and sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. And other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked it, so they did not bear grain. And still other seed fell on the good soil and it came up and grew and produced a, a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let him hear, let them hear. And when he was alone, the 12 asked him about the parable. We'll just skip down a little bit. But he said to them, don't do you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word and, and um, whoops, sorry. Better keep you up with it. Um, some are like the seed along the path and where the word is sown. As soon they hear it and Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others are like the seed sown on rocky places and they hear the word and once at, receive it with joy. But since they had no root, it lasts only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And still others, like seeds sown among the uh, thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth... And the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what is sown. So I wonder what, as we journey into this parable, and we stand and look at the mirror, what do you see? You see, I think the parables of God, first of all, speak into our own hearts. And for some of us, we, you know, maybe, maybe we see in us that there's, there's difficulties, there's problems, there's things that we need to deal with. Maybe between the, um, behind that smiling face, behind that, um, that happy exterior, we're actually a downtrodden path. 
we're, we're somebody who's been beaten into the ground. Stuff's gone in our lives so that the, the word of God bounces off us. It doesn't bear any fruit at all. Is there any hope? Is there any healing for us? I believe so. But what about the shallow ground? Maybe, maybe within our lives we've not disciplined ourselves to stop and to listen. You know, we came to faith in Jesus and then forgot to grow up in faith. If we don't open God's word and read it every day and, and listen to him, speak to us through that, how will we grow up? In the end, we'll be a little bit like Hebrews 5 where the writer says, By now you ought to be teachers, and yet you still need milk, not solid food. So I encourage you, if we're going to be fruitful in our society, we need to be in a good place ourselves. What about the thorns? You know, how much of our life is given over to pursuing our desires? Are our motivations in the right place? Or are they a tangled mess corrupted by worries uh, of the world, wealth, personal well-being and so on? How prickly are we when somebody crosses our will? That's a pretty good sign whether you've still got thorns in your life, isn't it? Have we taken the good gifts of God and just used them as snares and idols within us so that they choke out God's kingdom? So, the good soil. You know, if you wrap the, the three parable explanations, so Matthew, Mark and Luke tell this parable, and you bring all those together, you end up with this, that the good soil is somebody with a right heart who listens, who understands, who accepts and who acts on the word of God. That's how we would summarise it. Okay. Now, one of the things that strikes me about the good soil, I just want to pull this together and um, leave us with a bit of challenge here, is that um, is when we look at that mirror, we can be dealing with stuff in our own lives. But we actually have to understand that God is also calling us to do another thing. Right? Get stuff dealt with so that you can take the next step and that is look out the window have a look at the world around you if we understand what it is to be a downtrodden path what about the pathways out there people's lives completely overwhelmed Who's going to journey with them? You know, I, I love that portion of scripture where it says that Jesus, uh, on his way to the cross, on his way to Jerusalem, there's that lament over, over Jerusalem where, where he weeps. And I imagine his tears falling on, on, on such pathways as this, as though um, seeking to water the seed that he knows is there. A picture of hope and potential, even for broken lives. If only somebody would be out there journeying with those whose life represents a pathway. So what do you see? Maybe you see this. You see those whose lives are rocky and shallow. You know, so many people I meet today, they're not closed off to the idea of God. They might not consider the church as a place of relevance, but they're open to God. And why? Well, that should not surprise us, should it? Because God has put eternity in our hearts. In fact, one of the old saints says, uh, says this. He said, um, you know, uh, he put it like this. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. If I don't press the button, just press it for me. Um, people's hearts are restless today. Because nobody is feeding them, nobody is pastoring them, nobody is caring for them. 
So how are we going to help people to deepen their lives, deepen that soil so the seeds of faith will actually emerge? When they do emerge, they have a chance of coming to fruitfulness, to maturity. You know, it's in Palestine they used to break open this ground and they would pick up the rocks and they would put them to the side and then they would plough up the ground again and they would move the rocks that came to the surface and put that to the side and they would plough it again and they would do the same. It's hard, back-breaking work, but eventually the soil would be deep enough so that seeds were planted on it, would take root, and the roots would go down deep enough that when the fern winds came down off the mountains, it wouldn't scorch them. They would grow to a harvest. In other words, turning rocky soil into good soil turning pathways into pastures. What about the thorny soil? This is a real picture of our life today, isn't it? People whose lives are choked and ensnared by all of the temptations and the seductions, and, and not just the toys of life, not just the things that would um, lure us in, in terms of material wealth, but power and prestige and worry. These are all luring people's affections away from God. You know, idolatry is not some ancient practice, by the way. It's actually alive and well in, in, the, in New Zealand today. But surely there's hope for people of these too. After all, think about those thorns. They were the thorns that were taken and wrapped into a crown and beaten onto the head of Jesus. So I think he knows how to deal with thorns. Who's going to journey with these people to pick up the rocks? Who's going to journey with them to help cut out these thorns and to help them unravel their lives so that they can bring forth a harvest. I want to suggest to you there's a doorway in front of us. It's not good enough to look at the mirror and think just about my needs and how, how do I deal with these things in my life. And it's not good enough just to sit and look outside and say, oh, look at those people going through all this difficult time. We need to walk through the doorway. I said to my church, um, I'm going to give you all $5. I didn't bring enough fivers with me to offer this to you, but I said to them, I'm going to give you $5 and I want you to go down to the TAB and put a bet on. Now, you know, and I know, that good Baptists don't gamble. So at this point, the congregation looked at me with complete horror and figured I'd flipped. But I said to them, think about it. If you have the courage to go down there, you will be watching to see who sees you step over the threshold into the TAB, won't you? Hmm. And when you're in there, do you know what to do? Well, some of them did because they've been in TABs. But most of them are going, I haven't got a clue. So I said, well, you know, there'll be a bunch of screens and, and there'll probably be a counter there somewhere. Somebody's sitting behind bars. They're not in jail. They just want your money. Anyway, you're gonna, you're gonna, they're going they're gonna to want to know what you're going to bet on. The horses, you know, is it going to be the harness? Is it going to be the, is it going to be the drag races, the trotting? Is it going to be the, whole, uh, the, the dogs? And, um, and then they're going to say, if it's a woman, she'll say to you, what do you want, honey? And you're going to go, well, you know, you need to tell her whether you want to bet on a trifecta, a quinella, one each way. Anyway, you've got the story. The church by now is looking at me as I'd completely flip because firstly, I knew what went on in the TAB. I told you I didn't get born as a follower of Jesus. I came to this wonderful revelation when he slapped me around the ears. So the, um, here, here they are. I said, now you think about it. This is what the people of our community feel when you try to get them to cross our threshold. They don't want their friends to see them walking into that strange place. They don't and if they do go in there, which is incredibly uncomfortable for them, they don't know what to do. 
And if they finally get into the inner sanctum, well, we are crazy, and they're going to be convinced of that when they watch us, and um, they're going to run out that door. Why do they ever turn up here? Because uh, we show them love and care for them in this relationship. So we have to change our way of thinking. It's not about dragging them through the door. It's about us getting out there, loving them and caring for them, realising that our boundaries are, are actually our doorways, our boundaries. Can I just say this? I love the fact that you guys moved out of your church in the city and moved in here. The best time that I had at Morrisville Baptist was when we moved out of the building for two years while we knocked it down and rebuilt it. We were up in the college um, hall and we grew. And then we stagnated when we got back home. Everybody thought, we've made it. Eureka, we're in the promised land. No. Oh, hang on, there it is. I think I've got to finish, don't I? Yeah, otherwise you won't get your coffee. All right, let me, let me bring it into land. So what do you see? Every farmer knows that a crop takes time to grow. The ground's got to be cleared. It's got to be ploughed. The debris has to be removed. The weeds have to be kept at bay. It needs to be fertile soil. It needs sound seed. But put all that together and harvest is inevitable. When I hear people talking about a great revival in New Zealand, I want to hear underneath that and say, are you prepared to go and do the hard work? Don't think that there's going to be a magical turning to Jesus in this nation. It's not going to happen. It's only when the people of God get off their butts and go and build genuine relationships with people and are good news in our community that people will start that journey towards him. Not everybody. We've got to love them because Jesus loves them. So we need to serve them because we're serving him. We need to be there with them because that's where Jesus is right now. That's the thing that stuns me in sports chat. And see, I rock up into a sports environment and I bump into Jesus. And I don't mean the South American boy who came over to play soccer. I mean the real Jesus, right? He's there touching people's lives. He's just looking for hands and feet and bodies to be there and to do the time. It takes time. There's not one piece of soil in this country that is fertile today that did not take enormous effort to get it to that state. That's our task, friends. That's what God's called us to do, to be and to do. Will we be a part of his answer? People are out there. It struck me as I was preparing this that um, the point is that you don't catch fish sitting in your boat in the garage. <laughs> you don't surf waves if you leave your surfboard on top of the car. You don't get a harvest if you leave your seeds in the bag or if you fail to do the hard mahi of turning over your garden and preparing for the spring plant. Will we stand up and walk out into that harvest? That is my question. 1,000 people praying 1,000 people going. You say, what can we do? You're in the sports centre of Nelson, as I see it. Tahunanui with the sports fields and all sorts of stuff going on. You may not be into sport. That's okay. You know, I've got a son who's fallen a long way from the tree when it comes to sport. But um, 
I forced him to go and do culture last night, to go to his father-in-law's and watch the All Blacks. The All Who, he said. I said, let's take, our, let's take my oldest grandson because he's clearly not getting any culture from you. And so we sat there. I have to tell you, he played games. The little boy sat beside me. Mind you, I think he does that as soon as the telly goes on. But, um, but you might not be into sport, but what has God put on your heart? Schools across this country are looking for people who will become chaplains. Bible in schools is reducing. School chaplains are on the rise. Will you become part of God's preparation in people's lives within education? Will you become part of God's preparation in people's lives within, the, within health? Uh, you know, as somebody who's in a hospital, in a hospice, caring for people. Will you be part of those who feed those who are hungry. There's some wonderful things going on with the, um, uh, with the Kai, I can't think of the name of them now. Kai, Kai for us? Oh, Kai, yeah. Um, I see it on Facebook and I think, oh, that's just so good. Journeying with people. Will you do it? Because if we don't do the hard mahi, if we do not walk with people, how is the kingdom going to come? How are they ever going to have ears that might hear? How are their lives going to be turned from downtrodden pathways to pastures that are fruitful harvests? How are they going to see those thorns pulled out, those stones removed, that we might see good soil in our nation once more and see a harvest that so many of us are longing for, some of us have longed for, for 40 years or more? Will you stand? I'm not here to ask you to become a sports chaplain, although I just celebrate having... Uh, your pastor is one of them, but um, you might be wanting to do that. But what does God want for you? Take a moment and ask him to show you where you are to begin removing stones, helping people to tear out the thorns, turning over the pathways. Jesus, come, speak to your people. Lord, we know that you are worthy of a great harvest in this land. Help us to be part of what you're doing in our generation. Jesus, I pray that you would thrust people out of this community of faith into our wider community in ways that they could not have imagined, that they would see, their hearts would be thrilled by the welcome there is as we go and love people as you do as we serve them, as we serve you. Come Holy Spirit, inspire us, empower us, give, give your people boldness, give your people courage, give them clarity. Lord, may we stand one day and say, I've known the goodness of God because you have used me to be your goodness to others. We love you, Jesus, and we long for you to be famous in our generation. Yeah. Hallelujah.